0: We'll take your Bible and turn to the scripture you see on the screen. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. We're working our way through this wonderful, enlightening book. <clears throat> I will tell you at the outset that chapter 12 and 13 serve as tipping points, turning points, and teaching points in the Revelation. It's likely that the better thing to do would be to read two chapters and preach these two together. Don't anybody gasp. But for the sake of time, we won't take the two of them together because there's so much there. And let me just recap for those who may uh, uh, have not been part of any, any of our studies or anybody else's study. What I'm going to tell you is that back in chapter 4, the rapture occurred where God's people is take, are taken away. That leaves the earth in confusion and chaos. And then as we see in heaven, Jesus opened the seal of the owner's manual of earth. And when he, as he opened the seal, leadership came to the earth. And there was one that came that we know now as the Antichrist. He is ruling all of the world and he's brought some peace for a period of about three and a half years at this point. He's brought some peace. If you look at it in Bible prophecy... And I've not made a lot about this because time does not really permit. But we are now in the Scripture in what Daniel calls the 70th week. Now, the 70th week is not a week of so seven days. It's seven years. And we are in the, the the middle of the tribulation. The seven years is called the tribulation, and we're in the middle of it. The first three and a half years are called the tribulation. The last three and a half years are called the Great tribulation. And here's the turning point. The Antichrist, the world ruler, has has authorized and likely funded the building of a temple in Jerusalem, a new temple. But now what he does at the halfway point, he goes into the temple and he removes any vestige, any... Um, any uh, Possibility of worshiping Jehovah God, and he sets himself up in that temple as God to be worshiped. Any worship anyone's going to give is going to be his. Scriptures call this the abomination of desolation. And we'll get to that in a second, but you make no mistake, chapter 12 and 13 is a continuation of the battle that's going on. It is a battle between right and wrong, righteousness and evil, dark and life, death and life, God and Satan. And now as we get to chapter 12, we're going to see the battle begin to come to a head. So if you will, if you can, I know you stood. If you'll just stand to honor the reading of God's Word, then I'll allow you to be seated. If you can and will, let's stand and read What John writes He writes A great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head she was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth then another sign appeared in heaven there was a great, fiery, red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on its head were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she did give birth, it might devour the child. She gave birth to a son A male who was going to rule all the nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1260 days. I will stop. Everybody knows that 1260 days is going to be three and a half years. That'll be the second half of the of the tribulation, verse seven. then war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but they could, but he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the dragon was thrown out. the ancient serpent serpent. Who is called the devil and Satan. The one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say. The salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. Because the accusers of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him. By the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. That may be a verse that you need underlined in your Bible. For they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore, rejoice you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to the place in the wilderness, to her place in the wilderness where she was nourished for time, times, And a half time, if you want to know what that means, time is one year, times two years, and a half time is a half years. Two plus one plus a half is three and a half. You see the thing unfolding. Verse 15. From his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offsprings. Those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to the testimony about Jesus. Verse 18 is a verse that for many translations in verse 12. And for some translations, it is the first part of uh, chapter 13. It's 1A. It says, the dragons stood on the sands of the sea. Let's pray together. <coughs> <coughs> Heavenly Father, please take your words today, the words that you inspired John to give us. I pray that you'll take them and that you will Open our hearts and our eyes and our minds and our souls to receive the word that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've entitled this message, Overcomers. And all the way through it, you're going to go, well, how are you getting there? Well, you just hang on to the end. You know, the end is always supposed to be the best. The end points us in that direction. In the history of the United States, there have been several tipping point, turning points, and teaching points. You can go back to 1776. The first big one was when we signed the Declaration of Independence. In the fall of 1777, the Battle of Saratoga, the, the Continental Army had their first big win when they defeated and captured the British, and it opened the way for help to get in and help us because we had to have help. More recently, people my age will remember. The Watergate scandal was a turning point. 9-11 was a turning point. Our recent elections seem to be a turning point. Turning point. Tipping point. You see, turning points and tipping points have a tendency to change The outcome, no matter how bad you think it looks to the world. And when when you read this, no matter how bad it may break your heart, understand that Jesus will overcome Jesus wins and because he wins. His redeemed will win. That means if you know Him in a personal way. That doesn't mean if you're just a church member. That doesn't just mean if you come on Sunday morning. That doesn't mean if you do good to people. It means His redeemed are going to overcome with Him. If we're going to get to that point, we're going to have to unpack the Scripture. And so today I want to unpack this this um, this chapter with five signs that I see here. Five signs. The first sign is the woman. The woman. If you look as the chapter begins, it says there appeared in the heavens a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, cried out in labor, and and agony. She is about to give birth. The very first thing that we can realize when we see this is that this is one of those symbols. This is not a human female woman. There are many women. At least four mentioned in the Revelation. You have Jezebel in chapter 1. You have this woman here. You have the great harlot in Revelation 17. And then at the end of the, at the, end of the world, you have the bride of Christ. You have four women here. This woman is very unusual in appearance. It says she's clothed with the sun. She's, the moon is under her feet. And she's got this crown on her head, and it's got stars in it. And she's about she's expecting a baby and about to deliver a baby. Now, if you want to just write it down, this picture comes from Genesis chapter thirty-six, verses nine through eleven. And if and most of the Bible scholars will point you to that. And if you accept that as I do, is that the son would be Jacob. The moon would be Rachel. The twelve stars would be the twelve tribes of the Jewish nation. And the baby would be none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. That makes this woman a symbol or a sign of the nation of Israel. Israel has always been and always will be God's special people. The woman is Israel. And to think, about, to think about this woman of Israel and think about her, her opposers and what have you, and you look down there where it, the second sign appears. I had to work hard and pray hard to, this, to come up with this really fancy word. I want you to see the woman, but the second sign is the wannabe. The one You can smile. It'll be okay. The wannabe. So, who? what are you talking about, Brother Jerry? Well, look down in your scripture. Verse 3, it says, Another sign appeared in heaven. This was a great fiery red dragon. And it talks about having seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns. And its tail swept away a third of the heavens. And it hurled them to earth. And it stood in front of the woman. I mean, the list goes on. Why do I say this is the wannabe? Because all Satan has ever wanted to be was God. We know this was Satan because you look down in verse 9 and it tells you this is Satan. This is the one who accuses. He's, he's the devil. He is the adversary. He's the one that hates God, hates anything to do with God, and he wants to cause you to hate God. Now, you need to understand something about this devil. We've had... Years ago, Christy was in a a play, Um, The Gospel, you know better than I am. Anyway, it was was country gospel, it was cotton patch gospel, and in there, when Satan made his appearance, Deborah and I were sitting by each other, and the ladies, don't charge platform and don't beat me up, okay? It was a joke, okay? Joke! Y'all know I have a weird sense of humor. But when they got to the uh, temptation scene, Satan appeared to tempt Jesus in the cotton patch gospel. It's one of Christie's really good friends. And she was dressed in all red. And I said, finally, somebody tight cast Satan just right. A woman with a red dress on. That's a joke. Don't go away there thinking that's theology. But here's what I'm going to tell you. We kind of have the idea that Satan is an ugly creature. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he, when he was in heaven, he was the loveliest of all. He, he was the fairest of all. He, he, he was beautiful. He was called the morning star, the day star, if you will. And he got his start in heaven. Probably the third heaven where God resides. Someone told me one time, okay, Eric, leave me alone, okay? He's bigger than me. Someone told me one time that Satan was the worship leader in heaven. And they told me that when I was a worship leader. And then a pastor told me one time, he said, You know, when Satan got kicked out of heaven, he landed in the choir loft. And I just want to be clear. Todd's going to love me for this. I don't think when Satan got kicked out of heaven, he landed in the choir hall. I think he landed in sound systems, (laughs) because if anything's going to go wrong in a service and get you distracted, it's going to be the sound system. But I want to say this to you, both Isaiah and Ezekiel speak about Satan getting kicked out of heaven from the third heaven down to the first heaven, which is literally the atmosphere. In fact, if you watch it, seeing him fall is his first of four falls that we find in Revelation Satan is downwardly mobile. The text gives us a description of him, and, and in a serious way, those four terms: great, fiery, red, dragon are all important. To under- great talks about his power. Now I will just say this to you, he's not omnipotent, but he's powerful. I t- I've told you before, I tell you again, it is true: greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But greater is he that's in the world than you are if you go it alone without Jesus. He's powerful. Great. Fiery. Fiery speaks of his disposition. His demeanor. Red speaks of the blood that he leaves in his trail as he goes and walks. Dragon speaks of him being the ruthless monster that he is. And you look further here, it talks about it talks about the the seven heads. remember we talked about numbers last year? Seven is the perfect number. It speaks of his perfect intellect. he's not an idiot he's not omniscient, but he is smart and then and then it talks about. His, not just his seven heads, but it speaks of his ten horns, and it talks about his power. Ten, if you remember, is fullness or completeness. He has full power. He has complete power. He's not omnipotent, but he's powerful. And then the seven crowns back to the completeness. Note his earthly authority. And then it tells us, verse 4, it says, uh, His tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. That speaks of when he deceived a third of the angels in heaven. You can go back to the Old Testament and read. He, he influenced. He is this savvy, good-looking, probably talented angel. And he exerted influence over the angels. And a third of them followed him and ultimately got kicked out of heaven with him. Now the picture here is him... This great fiery red dragon standing in front of this woman who is about to deliver a child so he can devour her son and and we could just go on and, and let me just pause there to say this that shouldn 't surprise you through Israel was coming the savior of the world, and Satan is there to try to You know, Satan's tried to do that ever since the beginning of time. When Adam and Eve had Abel, he was going to be the lineage for the Israelite people and thus for the Messiah. Cain killed Abel. Satan had him killed. So God gave him Seth. You move a little further over into the Exodus. Exodus. When it was time for a deliverer in Egypt, Satan influenced Pharaoh to kill all the babies two years and younger to try to get rid of the Messiah, try to get rid of the deliverer. And then you surely can't forget, I mean, these are just three illustrations you can't forget in the Gospels when Jesus was born is that Herod tried to kill Jesus as a baby. He tried all he could. He killed two... I mean, can you imagine how much blood has been spilled in the name of Satan trying to kill the deliverer? And yet Satan failed in his scheme. In fact, if you get up into verse 5, it's it's a couple of things together. Verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male who's going to rule all the nations with an iron hand. Iron rod. That is going back to the church age before the church age when Jesus was born, and now you go back into the present time. But her church, her child was caught up to God and His throne. It appears that between those two sentences, that the big t- jump in time frame. Because here's what's happening: <clears throat> when the abomination of desolation, I mentioned that a while ago, at the midway point. At the midway point, Satan is still trying to combat God. He's still trying to, to, to take all people into the lake of fire with him. And, and, at, and at that point, middle of, the, middle of the tribulation, when he thinks he has enough authority to, to influence people, he sets himself up in the temple. Now, in case you haven't read about the abomination of desolation, you think, Brother Jerry, where'd you get that? You can go back to Daniel 9. Daniel prophesies about it. You can go to Matthew 24. Jesus teaches about it. Uh, Paul tells the Thessalonians about it somewhat in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And then we know about it here in the Revelation. You see, the truth is, is that when Satan thinks he's getting close, God provides a way out for the country. May I say this to you? Brothers and sisters, teenagers, when Satan thinks he's got you, if you'll lean on the Lord, he'll give you a way out. He'll give you a way of escape. Here it says they had wings like eagles. There are people who, who believe they know where where the country of Israel goes, where the nation of Israel goes. When Satan gets hot on their trails, it's a place called Selah. It's a Hebrew word for rock. People... Um, Smarter than me think they know where it is, and there's only one way in and out, and, and that Satan will not be able to find them. And that country, Israel, will go there and be protected to the end of the tribulation. The wannabe, he wants to be God. You know what? I've encountered some people like that. Hello? Have you? They really think the world revolves around them. One truth that somebody taught me early in my life is that there is a God and you ain't Him. And I'm glad for all kinds of reasons. The wannabe. Third thing that I assigned that I point you to here is the war in verse 7. The war in verse 7. Now the scene fit switches from earth to heaven and it causes some people problems. There's a war in heaven. Come on, Brother Jerry. A war in heaven. Well, here, it could be even going back in time to when Satan, instead of it being chronological order, but at some point there was this war in heaven. You study heaven, and some people think there are three heavens. Some people think there are seven heavens. Some people think there are 365 heavens. In Second Corinthians, Paul says he was called up into the third heaven. That's where God was. For my two cents worth, I'll trust Paul that that the third heaven. Paul wrong. Paul, Paul, Writes, I was caught up into the very presence of God. Now, his wording here, uh, particularly in the original language, it's always open to interpretation. But it could be a couple of things. Number one, it could be that he's writing based on his understanding, Jewish understanding of what heaven is. Or number two, and I think this plays into it, he was now face to face with God. Would you be able to? Would you be able to talk? If you were face to face with the Almighty. would you be in awe of who he was? It's obvious to me that the first heaven was considered literally the air and the atmosphere. Maybe the second was a little higher. And the third one is the abode of God. But when Satan was kicked out of the third heaven, he fell to the heaven, to the first heaven. And it's in this location where whatever you call him, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the evil one, the dragon, the dragon where they wage war against the forces of good. Scripture tells us that Michael, who is Israel's guardian angel, accepts this challenge. And since Satan, now get this numbers, men, you know, teens, get this numbers. <clears throat> you have Satan and you have Michael. Satan's army, Michael's army. These guys are outnumbered two to one because he only got a third of them. He's got two thirds. Plus, he's got the favor and the power of God on his shoulders. One more time, Satan falls in defeat. And this time, instead of being thrown to the first heaven, he's now thrown to earth. I just want to pause here to say if you're pitching your if you're hitching your wagon to anything but Jesus, you're headed the wrong direction. Because he's the one that's gonna come out on top. I'm afraid Satan is like many of us. He never learns his lesson. He never stops fighting against the will of God. He never stops to see that he might be wrong. He's overcome with his pride and his arrogance. And ultimately, he's going to demonstrate he'd rather be tossed into the lake of fire than to admit that he's wrong or that he has a need for God in his life. It pains me to say it but I wonder if we're like that Satan loses another sign I see here in the last part of the chapter verses 13 and following is the witch hunt the witch hunt he can't defeat Israel he can't defeat God so he has to go find somebody he can defeat. Now, witch hunt I looked it up and it's called, and it's defined as an investigation carried out ostensibly that means for show, to uncover subversive activities, but it actually is used to harass and undermine people with differing views. In other words, a witch hunt seeks to find somebody that don't see things quite like you do. And that's exactly what Satan did. He's the adversary. He's the accuser. He's always attacking something or someone. And his ploy today for us, are you listening? His ploy today is to get you and me to sin. And then when we sin, he wants to accuse us as being a sinner, as being no good. But things like this. You're not really good enough. To talk to God. You're not really good enough to say that you're a Christian. You're not really good enough to follow Jesus. You're not really good enough. The truth is, is that Satan, when he can't attack who he wants to attack, he takes the second best thing, offsprings. Now, it says offsprings here, so what are you? what's he talking about, Brother Jerry? We'll read about it next time in the next chapter. There's 144,000 Jewish witnesses that are leading people to Jesus. And with the satanic attack and those 144,000 evangelists leading people to Jesus, here's what I want to tell you. In this day, if you receive the grace and the mercy and the love and the life of Jesus, here's what happens. You just signed your death warrant. You won't last long. Because he's out to kill. And in the context of this, of where we are in history, Peter's words mean much more. He's going about seeking about who he may devour. We see people devoured. We see people devastated by the schemes of Satan. I pray for our teenagers every every day because... Uh, I, I know what it was like when I was a teenager with the, with the temptations, the pull of the world, the pull of friends. And the truth is, Satan is very capable of using friends and family everybody else to pull us in his direction. Scriptures tell us in the midst of all this bad news that we will be Overcomers. Overcomers. Anybody, can you say that with me, overcomer? Overcomers. Yeah, overcomers. So I'm going to end with this. The last sign I see here, it's in the middle of the chapter, is what I'm calling the winners. Everybody likes to be a winner. Everybody wants to be a winner. Everybody loves winners. In fact, when, when we were kids, we we wanted we when they were choosing up sides, we made sure Jude we got on the best side. Made sure we got on the best side so we would win. If we choose teams that we like, we want to make sure that they can win. However, I want to say this to you. Sometimes teams that you don't think are going to win come out on top. Hello? And as of now, people will go, well, you don't want to be a Christian because Satan's got the world. Well, listen, the last story has not been told yet. I think about yesterday. I'm, I don't watch Mississippi State. I love my wife. She's, she's got football teams that she loves. Florida's number one. Sorry, that's her. Florida's number one. And uh, uh, probably Ole Miss is in there somewhere. I didn't think Ole Miss was going to win yesterday, but they did. She, Kevin, you'll love her. She she pulls for Georgia. She thinks they got a good team. But uh, uh, generally, she pulls for her team, and the last... Our last favorite team is whoever's playing Alabama. So the Alabama fans won't like I just threw you under the bus, didn't I? I got you, okay. The, the truth is, is that everybody likes winners. To the world. If you've not listened to this point, give me another four or five minutes. To the world. Jesus appears to be a loser to the world. He never wrote anything. He never owned anything. He never ran anything. He never ruled anything. He had no worldly wealth to speak of. He was a simple carpenter who enlisted 12 men to follow him. Now, he's reportedly that he, that he did some good stuff along the way. But the truth is, this carpenter, he made the church people so mad that they finally killed him as a common criminal. And if that were the story, if that was the whole story, everything would, yeah, they would be right. But it's not the story. They killed him. They put him in the ground. But three days later. Three days later. Three days later. I don't know about you, but for my two cents worth, I tend to go with a guy who rose from the grave. The truth is, is that Jesus is alive today. He's on the throne. And for those people, and those people who will embrace His teaching, those people who will accept His offer, those people who will keep His commandments, those people who will follow Him, those people who have a testimony, for those people, they become His followers. They become His witnesses. And they enjoy His love and His grace and His peace and His mercy, His security, His salvation, His power, His kingdom, and His resurrection. Because that's what He did for you, if you if you trusted Him. He brought you from death to life. And then we become overcomers in this life. Now, how does that happen? I didn't think you'd ever ask, so I preached this whole message to get right here. I didn't think you'd ever... How does that happen? Watch this. They conquered him. He's talking about the dragon. Talking about the evil one. Talking about Satan. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. You see, what the world said was defeat was really victory. What the world, when the world said it was over, it was just beginning. When the world said enough, Jesus said, you ain't seen nothing yet. The blood of the lamb. Listen, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power and are you washed in the blood of the You see, the blood is what takes away our sin, gives us a new life, and makes us overcomers. But watch this. When you receive the, when you see the forgiveness of the blood, it changes you from the inside out. And when it happens, it says not only the, The blood of the Lamb. But watch this. The word of their testimony. Oops. You see, folks, our testimony causes Satan to run for cover. Because the witnessing and professing and confessing to the salvation of Jesus has a great impact on people. To that person who has never trusted Christ, when we can give that verbal word of witness about what he's done in our life. People can argue with a lot of things, but they can't argue with what Jesus has done in your life. They can argue with the Bible. They'd be wrong, but they can argue with the Bible. They can argue with the preacher. Whether they're wrong or not, up for debate. But they can't argue with what's happened to you the blood of the lamb, and the word of the testimony. I declare today if we're going to be winners, if we're going to be overcomers, we have to hang our hats on the blood has washed away my sin, and I've got a story to tell. Overcomers. Are you an overcomer? The story of Jesus is so wonderful because underachievers become overcomers. In Him. Do you know Him today? Why not give your life to Him completely today? Let's pray together.